Parshas Titzave. The end is important. Part 1. Various Endings One of the special garments that the Kohen Gadol wore in the Mishkan was the Me'il Ho'ephoid. It was a garment, Khalil Techelis, made completely out of royal blue that added an aura of nobility to his service in the Mishkan. And on the bottom edge of this robe was a unique apparatus, an arrangement of golden bells that emitted sounds as the Kohen Gadol walked. Now, the Pasuk in our Sidra says about these bells, V'nishma el Hashem, And its sounds shall be heard when he comes to the holy place before Hashem, Uvitseisoi, and when he goes out. And so we have a question. Considering that the bells made sounds when the Kohen Gadol walked, it's obvious that it will be heard when he leaves, just as when he comes. And therefore, it pays to understand why the Torah goes out of its way to tell us that the Kohen Gadol should be conscious of the sounds also when he is leaving. <coughs> I've said the following before, but I'll repeat it here because it's important. The brother of the Vilna Goyen in his Sefer, Malus HaToyro, teaches us a very important rule. He says it in the name of the Grah, but it's found in the Rishonim as well, and it's an idea that opens up for us a panorama of opportunities. He says there that although the 613 mitzvahs of the Torah are commandments on their own, yet they also are intended to be much more. Actually, there are 613 general principles that serve as models that should guide us in our everyday lives. We gain direction and motivation by studying the details of these mitzvah principles. And so the Torah is teaching us something here, not only for the Kohen Gadol and not only for the Mishkan, but for each one of us who wants L'shoreis B'voyay El HaKodesh to come into the service of Hashem. When Hashem tells the Kohen Gadol that upon the completion of the service in the sanctuary, he must depart with the same trepidation as when he entered, that he has to be mindful of the greatness of Hashem from beginning to end, he's talking to us too. Because it's one of the weaknesses of human nature that even when a person invests energy and thought into a mitzvah or any service of Hashem, when he comes to the end and is about to return to his regular self, his idealism is lessened. He doesn't keep his previous enthusiasm burning. But the Torah here is teaching us that it's not the way of serving in holiness. Even when going out, he must retain the same enthusiasm and respect for the mitzvah that he had when he went in. We'll give an example just to introduce the subject. You know, if you walk into a shul today and look around at the end of davening, you'll notice that there are very many people who when they finish Mona Esrei, they skip back three steps and then skip forward three steps. It looks like a hop, skip and jump game. Watch them. Three steps back, bend the head this way, that way, and then back again. It's a common sight. People playing hopscotch before Chazor's Hashats. So listen to what the sages say about that. If a person takes three steps back after Shemona Esrei, and then immediately he takes three steps forward or he walks away, It's better to have not davened. You hear such a psak? It would have been better if he hadn't davened Shemona Esrei at all. To daven such an irreverent Shemona Esrei, he should have just stayed home. So you'll say, who said it was an irreverent davening? Maybe he davened very nicely, only that at the end he rushed a little bit. A little bit at the end wasn't so good, but what does that have to do with his davening? The answer is that the end is too important for that. 
Nothing is little when you're serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's no such thing as, well, at least the beginning was good. When it comes to serving the Creator, nothing is just an end. When you're standing in front of a king, there's no room for slacking off. That's why the Gemara there teaches us how to finish Shemona Esrei properly. Even the end has a certain procedure. It says there that when you walk back three steps, you should remain standing there for a little bit. Don't hurry back. And with a reverence, wait a little while, then walk back. Even the very end, the way you walk away, has to be measured with the same seriousness as the way you walked in. <coughs> That's what Hashem wants from us, to accomplish an hour's service of Him. It's a big lesson you're hearing now. Avoidus Hashem requires a person's dedication and enthusiasm from beginning to end. That's why when it comes to Shabbos, the Chachamim go out of their way to teach us how to leave the Shabbos. Everyone knows that when Shabbos comes in, we begin with a bang. The Am Yisrael is busy all day Friday preparing for the Shabbos. And Shabbos itself, of course, we go to the synagogue and we daven. We have big seudos. We sing zmirais. But all that is not enough because the end matters very much. It's a tragedy how people, observant Jews, end the Shabbos. Here's a pious observant Jew. On Shabbos, he wouldn't do a thing. He would never think of violating the Shabbos. But he sits there Saturday, late afternoon, as it's getting dark, and he's looking through the window, waiting for three stars. Or he's looking at the clock. Is it time yet? Can we say Mariv now? He's waiting for Shabbos to be over. <clears throat> Such a man is leaving the Shabbos with a skip and a hop. That's not the way. That's not how the Jew walks out of the day of service of Hashem. The Jewish nation is not only Memaharim Lovoy, they don't only hurry to bring in the Shabbos, but Me'acharim Lotzeis, but they are sorry to have to let go of Shabbos. They make a special Shalashudas, they sing songs, they daven late, because the way you say farewell to the Shabbos, that counts just like the way you bring it in. That's why Havdalah is so important. Havdalah is like Kiddush. It's included in the mitzvah of Zohar Esyon Shabbos L'Kadoshoy, of proclaiming the day of Shabbos. It means that it's a mitzvah to remember the Shabbos not only in the beginning when it comes, but also when it goes out. When a king comes into the city, they stand with bugles and they sound a welcome. It's a privilege to have the king visit. And there's excitement. But that's not enough, because when the king is finally leaving, if the city people are not interested, if their enthusiasm waned, it means they don't appreciate that the king is in town. And so when it comes for time for the king to depart, they go through the same procedure again. They sound the salutation again with the bugles because the end has to be as vibrant and reverent as the beginning. That's the core of genuine service, to stick with it from beginning to end. That's called dedication. And so we are saying goodbye to Shabbos Amalka by making Havdalah. That's why when you are saying Havdalah, you should be thinking of the great principle that the world was created out of nothing. Isn't that a good idea? Now, when you were chewing on the first piece of challah on Friday, it was easier to think those thoughts. The beginning of the mitzvah, naturally, is easier. He takes his first bite and he's thinking, This challah tastes so delicious. Who made it so delicious? Who made it so that when the starch mixes with the saliva, with the enzymes in the saliva, that it creates sugars and tastes sweeter? It's only the one who made starches out of nothing. The one who made saliva from nothing. The one who made sugars from ayin. He's the one who made this world of kindness, of oineg. Of course, some people don't even do that. Even the beginning they're lazy about. But even those who already learned how to make use of Shabbos, the end of the day, they sometimes let it slip away.
And therefore, Havdalah is the time to think about Briyas Oilam Yesh Me'ayin. I know it's the last thing a lot of people would think about, but it's a wonderful idea. You pick up the kais and everyone is waiting, but you stop for five seconds. Let them think you're absent-minded, that you're daydreaming. And you remind yourself that the world was created out of nothing and that everything is nothing but the will of Hashem. It's only His imagination. There is no such thing as sky and no such thing as earth. It is only His will that became concretized and changed into these materials. That's the way to end the Shabbos. Yom Tev 2. Same thing. Here's a good Jewish family making Pesach. A wonderful family. They don't go to any hotels. They make the Seder only in their home. Cholhamayid too. They don't run to amusement parks. They're in the base madrash. The women are at home. They're cooking up delicious things for Cholhamayid for Yom Tev. I admire families like that. We should be proud of such people. I know that today it's apicorsis to say something like that, that you don't go to hotels and that you don't have to go on trips on Cholhamayid. But such apicorsis is something to be proud of. It's something to aspire to. But even that is not enough. The great lessons of Bivoyoy Uvetseisoy teaches us that the beginning and the middle is not enough. The end too is important. The last day is important. Don't let go of the excitement, the mitzvah lessons, as much as you can. <coughs> so here is a man who on the day after Yom Tov, he has to go to work. His Gentile boss is upset. He took off so many days for Passover. But before he sets out to go to work in the morning, he puts on his breakfast table a bottle of wine. He doesn't have time to drink much, but he asks his wife, where do we keep the whiskey? And he pours out a little bit just to wet the bottom of the glass in order to celebrate Isruchag. And he reviews for one minute in his head the lessons of Yom Tov. It's a mitzvah. The day after Pesach, the day after Shavuos, the day after Sukkot, eat a little bit more than usual. Put something on the table extra, a little cookie. For lunch, take along something extra. You think it's not so important? It's very important. The Chachamim say, on that person, Ki'ilu Bonam Zbeach. It's as if he built an altar, the Hikriv Alav Karbon, and he offered on it an offering. Not just he brought a Karbon, he built a Mizbeach and prepared a Karbon and he brought it up on the Mizbeach. He did everything from beginning to end. And that's the successful Jew. The Jew who knows that the end is important too. He walks out of Shemayna Esrei with the same reverence he walked in with. He takes off his tefillin with the same thoughts he put them on with. He ends his Shabbos and Yom Tov like he began them. He has a chavrusa he learns Torah with. The last five minutes are the same as the first. His winter's man in the yeshiva, the last day is the same as the first. And there are thousands of examples like that. Opportunities to f- fulfill the Torah principle of Bivoyoy Uvetseisoy in our lives. <coughs> Part 2. Never Ending now, even if we would have time to list here all of the ways we can apply this principle of we have to understand that actually it's not limited to examples because it's a principle that applies to all of our lives from beginning to end. There's a Pasuk we say on Rosh Chodesh as follows, A man goes out to his toil and to his work that he labors down to the evening. It's a Pasuk from Barchi Nafshi, and it's talking about the day laborer. In the ancient times when men were hired by the day and they began working as soon as daybreak occurred and they continued all the way Adei Arev, down to sunset. Now, in, in, on this Pasuk, the Gemara comments, The verse is talking about a person who completes the job down to nightfall. But it's a comment that seems superfluous. 
Of course, that's what it's talking about. That's exactly what the Pasuk said. The answer is that the Gemara is talking about a different type of laborer. It's not somebody laboring for earthly wages, for money, but the one who's laboring in Avoidas Hashem for heavenly wages. That's the one whom we extol for working Adai Arev until the evening. Now, I have to explain this. The Gemara says in Bav Metziah that A worker can leave the job in the middle of the day. That's the din. And you have to pay him for his work for whatever time he already worked. You can't find him for leaving you in the middle of the workday. Unless you can't find anybody to finish up and you have to pay extra wages to get somebody to work the second half of the day so you can collect from the first man's wages to pay for the second man's extra pay. But if you can get somebody to finish up, you cannot penalize the man for leaving in the middle of the day. Why? Because The children of Yisrael are my servants, declares Hashem. It means that the Jews are not slaves to anybody but to Hashem. And so, suppose in the middle of the day, a Jew says, Look, enough Olam Hazel already. I can't ruin my life just working and working. That's it. I'm off to the yeshiva. Imagine that. A Jew, in the middle of the day, he sees that he's wasting his life and he drops everything. So his boss says, Chaim, where are you going? Sorry, boss. He says, I'm giving up this foolishness. I'm going back to the yeshiva. That's his right. He's allowed to quit the factory in the middle of the day and get busy with his real job for his real boss. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not recommending that. It's a good idea, but I'm not recommending it because, first of all, you have a family to support. That's also Avoidas Hashem. You made a commitment in your ksuva. You promised when you got married, Ano Eflach, when you're a chosen, you take hold of the handkerchief that the two Aden bring to you, and you promise. It's a shame. The chassan thinks it's just a ceremony. He takes hold of a handkerchief. That's all. It's a kenyan. You're of yourself. I'm going to work. Eflach means work. Polach means to work. In Arabic, falachin means workers, laborers. I'll work. I'll support you. And so, if you already promised, that's a different story. Also, I'm experienced with this already, with proposals like these. A man told me a while back, and this has happened to me more than once, that he would like to be a koilol man. He is thinking of giving up his job and becoming a koilol man. So I said to him, you don't need to give up your job. On Sunday, become a koilol man. You don't work on Sundays, so on Sunday morning, pack up lunch in a brown paper bag, say goodbye to your wife, and don't come back till Sunday night. Sit in the base mandrish in front of the Gemara all day. You'll be a Kolol man all day long and it won't harm your parnasa. A good idea I gave him. That was years ago I told him this. He still hasn't done it. He doesn't go to the base mandrish on Sundays. The answer is he didn't want to be a Kolol man. What he wanted was not to work. However, the point is that you have the right to do it. Imagine somebody is sincere and his wife is masculine too. So according to the strict Torah law, he can quit his job even in the middle of the day, and the boss has to pay him because he's not doing anything wrong. He belonged to Hashem before he belonged to the factory. All that, however, is in this world. There's no need to work till sundown, but when it comes to heavenly wages, it is essential that you work down to the time that the whistle blows. You have to complete your job down to nightfall. Nightfall means when the sun of life sets, you cannot stop work before the sun sets. And that's because this Torah teaching of Bivoyoy Uvetseisoy 
that the end has to be just as accomplished as the beginning is a much bigger teaching than just the Koyin Godel or how to end Yashmona Esrei. It means that not only the end of the mitzvah counts, but that the end of life counts. How you live the beginning is not the entire story. How you live the middle is not the entire story either. What matters is from beginning all the way to the end. You know, there are many people who in their youth were idealists. Let's say when they were 18, a wave of enthusiasm washed them up upon the shores of Judaism, and they began doing mitzvahs and gaining some years shemayim. But then they were left stranded with the enthusiasm that they had at 20 years old. They stopped making progress, and they're left in the same place where their first wave of enthusiasm deposited them. Here's a former yeshiva man who learned in yeshiva in his youth, and he loved Tyra. Once upon a time, he says, I knew this and this safer by heart. I remember how we sat up all night mishmarim studying. All my days were only in learning Tyra. What happened? He cooled off. He wasn't prepared for life because he didn't understand enough the lesson of Bevoyoy Uvetseisoy, and therefore he slacked off. Don't we see examples again and again of good boys who eventually went out of the yeshiva? They left the Torah world? It doesn't mean they became Chasv Shalom Apikarsim. We're not talking about that. But they went out of the yeshiva and they went into profession and they lost their taste for Gemara, for Musr, for Avodah Hashem. Yes, from time to time they learn, but now they're head over heels in the practical world and as they look back, it's with a little bit of amusement that they view their former enthusiasm. In the olden days, their greatest pleasure was to say a chiddish, to learn the sugyo and ask a lot of kashas on it and understand it and add some ideas of their own. But subsequently, because of the exigencies of life, they went into some profession or business and they became so busy with the great task of making money in this world and now in the second half of their lives, they slack off. They have a taste for other things. Oh no! Bemisha hishlem avaydosay adayorev means how good it is to remain with your youthful aspirations all your life. The idealism that you gained in the yeshiva, your love for Torah, your fire, your slavos, should be always from beginning to end. And even if you'll be the owner of a big department store, you'll be sitting in your office with a Rabbi Akiva Eger, and you're making notes in the margin. That's your life. That's your life. If somebody comes in and brings a sheath of checks or orders, you say, put it down, soon. This, the safer, is your business. That, the business, is only incidental. And when you come home, you're not taking your business with you home. When you come home, you get back to your Sfarim. That's your first love and your last love. Forever and ever, your head is in the Torah. <coughs> a woman too. Here you have a woman whose husband studied Torah in the Koil. She was proud to be a Koilo wife, to have a Koilo family. When a girl marries a young man who sits in the yeshiva and learns... You have to know that home is not an ordinary home anymore. It's a koilal home. It's influenced by the spirit of Tairo. Every day the husband goes off to the koilal and the wife goes off to work. She's a koilal wife, a different kind of wife, and the children are koilal children. Different kind of children. Everything is different. It's a different life. He's working at learning and she is working making a parnasa. It's a beautiful beginning. But that's not enough. Because eventually, when he'll take over the earning of the livelihood... The family should continue to be a Koilo family. They established themselves as a Koilo family. The children are already established as Koilo children. And that attitude of Koilo life, it has very many ramifications. The primacy of Torah learning, the shunnings of luxuries, should remain all their lives. Even though he leaves the Koilo later and goes into business, it's already a different family forever and ever. 
But suppose it's many years later. Her husband is out of the kolon now for many years, and she's talking with a circle of so-called friends. And she says, I remember the old days when my husband learned in the kolon. The silly old days when I thought Torah was everything. I used to run out of the house at 6.30 in the morning to catch a bus to Muncie to teach. Oh, to say that is a big mistake, because she has to remain with that same Islavos, that love for Torah that she had in the beginning. Her husband is out of the kolon now, no matter. Her fire is still burning. She pushes him out the door early in the morning to the base medrash. In the morning, it's cold outside and dark, but she turns and says to her husband, Chaim, get up and go to the synagogue. You have a share to learn before davening in the morning. So Chaim has to put on his overcoat and go out in the cold weather. She's home under the warm blanket, but she's a partner because she keeps that fire of enthusiasm burning and she pushes him to go. She is a partner in all of his Torah. When he comes home late at night from learning, so she warmed up his supper for him. It was warm and cooled off. She warmed it up again, and it cooled off again. But she's patient. It's for the sake of Torah, so she warms it up again. Now, when she does that, she's a full partner. The Talmud tells us that. She's a 100% partner. She's a partner in his Kailal days and in all of the learning he does today too. Because she understands that the end has to be just as good as the beginning. That's the lesson. It's not enough the beginning of a mitzvah or even the beginning of a day or a zman or a lifetime. Avoidus Hashem is a full day job, a full life job. You have to keep it up ade erev. That's how important the end is. Part 3. A Happy Ending We'll listen now to what the Rambam says in Masih Avois because he makes there a very important statement about what it means the end. And if we understand his words, if we take them to heart, we'll be inspired to not let go, to hold on to our idealism and dedication always. The Rambam says when a man dies, the way he is in the last moment, that's how he'll remain forever and ever. Not what you were 50 years before. You won't be judged only on what you accomplished when you were younger. What matters is that you kept it up as long as you possibly could, all the way Ade Arev. I'll explain this with an analogy. Imagine all of us here are working in a big factory, a pottery factory. We go over to the foreman and each one of us gets from him a lump of fine clay to work with. And then we go over to our place at the table where we have to fashion the clay and make it into the best kind of a vessel we can. That's our job. And the foreman, when he hands us our clay, he warns us, shake a leg, don't talk, don't waste time, because a bell is going to ring in the evening and then you have to race with whatever vessel you made out of the clay towards the kiln. There's a big kiln on the wall with a lot of little doors and at the end of the day you have to stick your clay into your little oven and lock the door and in one second it's baked hard. After it's baked you can't change it. Whatever it is in that second, that's how it will be forever. It won't help anymore what you want to do to your clay, the foreman tells you. You'll come to me and say, let me please take it out again and change it. I was negligent. I didn't do a good job. I'm sorry, but it'll be too late. It's baked already. It's forever. And so the workers are all standing by their tables with their clay and the smart ones are busy making the clay into a vessel, smoothing it and shaping it and making designs and so on. The foolish ones are talking, laughing, wasting their time. They'll regret it. But the wise ones are working hard. It's the morning time and they feel strong and invigorated and industrious. But suppose now that one of these men who is industrious, he had already made good progress on his vessel, but as the afternoon comes, he begins to tire out. 
he gets distracted or weary. He's confident about the work he did all morning, and he doesn't spend the last hours of the day like his friend does, adding designs and perfecting the shape. And now suddenly the bell rings. Ooh-ah! He wasn't expecting that. He has to race now with his vessel to the kiln, and he's, rest- and he's running. He looks down at his clay with a tinge of regret. I could have done better. It won't matter to him that he spent the first half of the day hard at work. What will matter is that he slackened off towards the end, and now he's going to bake his vessel yet unfinished. And that, says the Rambam, is what death is. Whatever you accomplished until that last moment, that's how you enter that kiln, and in one second you're baked permanently. That's how you'll be forever. Not for a hundred years, and not for a thousand years. Kach yisho'er lo'olom. That's how you'll remain forever and ever. And so, what will it avail you that you were good in the beginning? If you rested on your laurels, if you didn't continue for as long as you could, it'll be to your eternal regret. Here's a bar mitzvah boy who puts on tefillin and he puts them on with pride because he was inspired and to him the tefillin means something. Ukshartem la'ois, it's a sign of greatness, a pe'er, a glory. And imagine, he's a good boy, he practices those thoughts and he feels more and more elevated every day. He feels a warmth come over him and his character changes every morning because of that. And for a long time he continues to feel that way. He glories with tefillin, ho ho, tefillin, he's happy, he's wearing tefillin. What happens? He gets older and he falls into the rut and he forgets all about it. And one day he's 40 years old or 50 years old now and he puts on tefillin without much thought at all. Maybe without any thought. Or a woman. She used to be so happy with Shabbos. She prepared for that day with thought. Could could be she came here once and she heard us talk about Shabbos, about creating the Shabbos mind. Everything she cooked, she was thinking, I'm cooking this chicken or I'm baking these potatoes in honor of Briyas HaOilam Yesh Me'ayin to celebrate that HaKadosh Baruch Hu made this entire universe out of nothing. Or maybe she heard a Torah lesson about studying the hand of Hashem in nature or about working on her character or Yeras Shemayim or Ahavas Hashem. Whatever it is, she grabbed onto it and made something of herself. She became very great because of it. It could be that nobody knows about her. She's just a private woman in her humble little home. But she became very great in the eyes of Hashem. What happened? After some years, she begins to weaken. She's a little lazy about it, and now she cools off. Shabbos is just Shabbos. The drudgery of cleaning and preparing and cooking. She's not reminded of Hashem when she sees a cloud in the sky or a rose in her neighbor's yard. Her idealism is not there anymore. You can see the same thing every day in the shul. Someone who, when he was younger, he davened with fire. But now you can catch him saying noble words, words that should set his heart on fire, but his heart is not in it. Sometimes he's even signaling to his neighbor, or his neighbor is talking to him. Did you see, was Shmerel here today? His neighbor asks him. And he's mumbling, pointing. Tata in Himmel, what happened to this man? He spent 20, 30 years davening like a tzaddik and now it's gone. I'm not saying it's all gone. He's still an ish kadosh in all his practices, but it has died out within him. The idealism has been extinguished. The Chovos Halavavos warns us about that. He tells us, his readers, that we have to gird ourselves against such things. And he gives an Eitzah. He says that you should always review these Torah ideals in your thoughts. You should read the words of the Siddur as if you're reading it for the first time. You know the meaning of the Davenin already. And years pass by. Go over it again anyhow. That way, he says, when you grow older, you'll keep reviewing your accomplishments and increasing them. 
You'll stand your ground and continue to develop your mind. Not only the davening, what it means, Shabbos and Tefillin and Eflois HaBoyre and learning Torah, everything. All the things you already learned before, all the various ways of serving Hashem that you set out upon in your life, reinvigorate yourself with them when you're older. Even when you eat a watermelon at the age of 70, go over it again and review all the lessons when you ate the watermelon the first time. Now, I'm afraid you didn't learn anything the first time, but if you're a regular here, you know how to dive into a piece of watermelon. You have to dive in with your thoughts. A piece of watermelon is a sugya. It's like a tasty sugya. Like this. Why is it that only the outside is deep green, but the peel inside has no color at all? The peel is a half inch thick. Why doesn't the green continue into the depth of the peel? It's almost colorless, that half an inch. And then starts the red. What kind of business is this? The plant is like a flag, red, white, and green. You see something there. It's purposeful Yad Hashem. Outside is green because that's how you know whether it's ripe or not. Depending on its shade of green, an experienced person will know whether it pays to buy this watermelon. But why waste color? So the color is thin, only on the outside. The rind doesn't need that color, so there's no wasting. Now, even though the rind doesn't have to be any color, but when you come to the meat, the meat is red. Why is the meat of watermelon red? Let's say when your wife makes a party, she makes ice cream. Why does she make it pink? Even if the pink ice cream doesn't taste any better than white ice cream, but she adds coloring because it looks better. It's more appetizing. It's to make it more enjoyable. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when he's serving you this ice cream, the watermelon he's serving you is better than ice cream. So he colors it red. A beautiful tint of red. You'll eat it with more gusto that way, with more zest. So if you know how to eat watermelon, the watermelon goes into your stomach, but das is going into your head. That's the real purpose of the watermelon. That's how to eat red watermelon. Suddenly, however, you come to the rind and you stop eating. Now, if the rind was colored red, you wouldn't stop. You would keep on and get a stomach ache because it's not edible. That's why the color stops. It's an indicator. Ad kan, you can eat. From now on, discard. No eating. You're supposed to get excited over that. I know that some of you never heard this title before. I see you're looking at me with dumb stares. But even those who are regulars here, they heard it already, but they're so tired of hearing it, so they don't hear it anymore. Oh no, we have to keep pushing. We have to think these thoughts every time we eat watermelon until the sun of life sets. And that's what Dovra Melech says, Hashem Let me praise Hashem during my lifetime. That's what he did. All the days of his life he was singing to Hashem. Now, when David was approaching old age, so somebody might have said to him, Look, you did a good job. Now you can relax. Like it says in the taxi, lean back and relax. Enjoy the ride for the rest of your life. You did so much already. Oh no, David said. I'll sing to my Hashem as long as I'm still around. Be'oidi means as long as I'm here. Because that's what's most important, to sing down to the last moment. Now, in the last moment, it's not so easy to sing. Your bones are creaking and rusty. Your digestion is not what it used to be. You're not earning money like you used to earn. You don't get as much coverage from your children. As long as the father can hand out big money, he's treated well. But now he's an old man, a broken old man. It's not so easy to sing when you're old and weak. But David continued to sing even when he was lying on his bed and he was so cold because of weakness. They covered him with blankets, but he had no warmth left in him. 
Still, enough enthusiasm to sing he had. He never stopped singing until his last moment. And that's the way that shows us a model for our lives. From beginning to end, we are Oivte Hashem, because that's the perfection of our service in this world. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Let's get practical. The Pasuk in our Parsha about the bells of the Koyin Gadol teaches us that the end is important, whether it's the end of Shabbos, a Yom Tov, or a lifetime. Furthermore, we learned that the end is so important that sometimes the end can atone for all that we missed out in the beginning. This week, Belin Nether, three times a day as I finish Shemana Essay and I take three steps back, I won't rush to finish and move on with my day. I will savor the ending of Tefillah as I review these lessons in my mind.